At 48, at 48, Pamela thought she had menopausal symptoms, but it turned out it was actually colon cancer. You have to listen to this episode. Pamela talks about navigating major surgeries and chemotherapy, all while raising her teenage godson. Pamela was a single mom with a high-end sales job, and just when she thought she had beat colon cancer, well, to find out the rest, stay tuned. Pamela, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It is my honor to be here. Oh, I am so excited to learn more and dive in. Not excited that it came back. I should specify that, but I, I'm excited to learn more about your story. So can you take us back to the beginning and give us a timeline? So when did it first begin when you started having these symptoms? In retrospect, I had probably not been feeling good for maybe six months, but wow. of course you just push it aside. You know, that's what we do. Um, one morning I woke up and couldn't breathe and I had terrible knife-like pain in my left abdomen. And I knew the time of uh, ignoring it was over. And I took the day off of work, which is may have been the first time in my life that I had done that. <laughs> and, um, Went to the doctor and after a few weeks of testing, they I went under a colonoscopy. And as soon as I came out of that twilight, um, the, the colonoscopy, the gastroenterologist uh, woke me up and he said, We've, we found a tumor in, and I'm, I'm 100% sure it's cancer. Wow. So what year was this? Take us back. This to was it. in 2013. Okay. So really not that long ago, less than less than 10 years ago. So what symptoms were you having that you thought were menopause? Well, you know, the, the added weight in the middle. Um, I've always been very healthy. Uh, I'm a yogi and really ate salads all my life. Not because I had to try to lose weight, but that's just what I pre always prefer. And um, petite, thin. And when I started getting this stomach, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not ready for menopause. I'm not ready for sweater sets and gray hair. So <laughs> I, it's really what I thought. So I thought, and that's where the, the ignoring it and pushing it away came in because I thought that it was something that I just didn't want to face. Little did I know it was something bigger that I didn't want to face. Wow. I mean, did you have anything else? You had fatigue, weight gain? Did you have night sweats or anything? Nothing, nothing. No change in um, bowel movements. I was just a little bit of a, a gateway and uh, maybe a little more tired in retrospect. Okay. I, I felt a little more tired, but um, I was doing a lot and anybody that has a teenager know it's exhausting. Yes, it is. So you wake up and you get this news and what was your first thought? My kid. Mm. Um, I, I raised him, um, I got him at five and my, my thought was, is that he can't lose another mom. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was my own fear as a Christian. I, I wasn't worried about me. Um, I just wanted to be here to raise him. Oh my goodness. And 
they took the tumor out at that time during the colonoscopy? Not at that time. Uh, It was too large. So he did get a little piece of it. And um, the longest three days of my life were when they went to send it off and um, waiting. I didn't go back to work because I, I just, I said, this is my time. I have to take care of me. So, um, so it was three days before it came back and he called me and said, it's definitely cancer. We need to get you into surgery. So, okay. So talk to us about that. The, the next steps with treatment. I found a, that this particular doctor had referred me to a general surgeon. Well, my sister, who was my caregiver, um, my sister and I went to this general surgeon (laughs) and, um, I was, you know, a nervous wreck and just a bundle of, um, tears and disbelief and everything that we go through. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, what about after the, you know, will I have to wear a colostomy bag? What, you know, what are the steps? And he said, you know, he said, ma'am, I just take the, the tumor out. I don't do, I don't do anything else. And I thought, this guy's not operating on me. I I'm sorry. I, if I don't have somebody with a bedside manner, it'll stay in me. Um, and I'm glad because I found the number two colon surgeon in the country, which was in central Florida. And, uh, he agreed to do the surgery and he was fantastic. He took, um, 13 inches out, um, 25 lymph nodes, my left ovary, part of my rectum. I was just full of cancer. And, um, so wait, there, there was cancer, not only in your lymph nodes, but in your ovary as well. Yes. And the, the rectum. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So after that, how long did it take you to recover from that surgery? Well, that surgery, I went in and, um, I was in the hospital six days. Uh, they don't let you out until you have normal bowel movements and of course get up and walk and, and, and it was tough. It was, it was, I, I, I had broken off my, um, toe in high school. That was the extent of my ever being ill. So it was hard for me to, um, to be taken care of, you know, with the nurses and the 24 hour coming in the room and all that. It was, it was new and different for me and I had to adjust. Um, but I think on the sixth day, they let me out. I had a, a family and friends and so many people that came and supported me. Um, it was almost like a, it was almost like a funeral. You know, when people come and they bring flowers and food, except I was alive. And I thought, this is cool because I'm still here to experience all the love. What was the treatment plan after surgery? I found an oncologist, uh, one of the best, and he told me that I needed double dose chemo twice a month, go in for infusions. And then all the other times were a chemo bag. I could go to work, I could go shopping, but I had to wear a chemo bag. And I said, I'm not doing it. I am, I am not doing this. I had never been sick. And the thought of dying um, skinny and bald and sickly was just not something I was going to do. So I told my family, I am not, I'm not doing it. I love you. But um, of course, I was outnumbered. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say. Your bio says something about chemotherapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just wanted to put that in there for for the the people that are watching that are newly diagnosed. You know, you can have your moments, but please do what your doctors say. Um, That's why they're doctors. 
So, so you did do the chemotherapy. Of course, I, I had, was outnumbered. You know, and again, it was it was initial. It, you know, we go through the, the phases of, of, of grief. You know, there's shock and then there's denial. And at that time I was in denial. No, I'm not doing it. And of course I did. And um, that wasn't much fun, uh, the chemo. But um, I got to say- How long did that last? That was um, nine months of double dose. So I understand the part about going in and getting an infusion. The chemo bag- was that delivering chemotherapy constantly every day, a little bit at a time? Well, there was, um, actually I ended up not doing the take home. Um, I should have reiterated that, but I, I, I agreed to do the chemo for my family and the doctor, but we had to have a compromise. So there was two types of chemo. Uh, one was the infusion and the second one that was supposed to be the take home bag. I found it in my research that you could take it orally and so I opted to do that. So instead of um, the bag, I had to take eight chemo pills a day Wow! for nine months. And, and still go in for the infusions as well. And still go in for the infusions. So it was a lot. So talk to us about those nine months and any side effects and just how did this affect your life? Well, it was... Um, not to elaborate too much because, you know. Oh, please do. I love okay. the details. Get into it, man. Get into it. It was, it was, it was awful. You know, the, the main thing, you know, the physical part is always bad. You know, I just, I just felt awful all the time. And I, I worked for the Hilton Corporation for almost 20 years and they were wonderful. So they told me, Pamela, come in when you feel good, leave when you feel bad and you got this and they were so supportive i had the most wonderful colleagues at work and they would come around every day at my desk and sing i want to see you be brave oh it was really really good great the work was great um i found myself in the in the bathroom a lot you know so it was it wasn't like i was on top of my game but um but the main thing Andrea was the tears. I, I just cried all the time really? and I cried for, um, my kid and just the loss of having such a wonderful life before that, not ever knowing any pain or disease or discomfort or sorrow. I I've had this wonderful life for so many years. And when I got affected by this, it was like being hit by a brick. So I had to get through that. I do want to say something, of course, not being a doctor or a psychiatrist, but I cried all the time. So one day I thought I maybe need some help. So I, right. I got an appointment with a psychiatrist and she said to me, and I was telling her my story, of course, through tears. And she stopped me at the colon surgery. She said, there's your problem right there serotonin is made in our gut. So it affects our feel good parts of our brain, but it's created in our gut. She said, you have so much of your, of your intestines missing. You're not getting the serotonin. I got to tell you when I got on that, just after maybe three or four days of getting on it, um, my life turned around and I what started, did you take? Uh, it's called Vibrid and it's a serotonin uptake. 
So it was, it's just a natural serotonin that sometimes people's bodies don't produce it. Sometimes it's just because they're born that way. Uh, for me, it was because of the major surgery. Right. So that was, it was just a lifesaver. And I take it today. And um, my psychiatrist says that I'll take it the rest of my life. And that's fine. It, uh, it just gives me that serotonin that we, the delicious drug <laughs> that's normally made in our body that, that I don't get <laughs> naturally. So. So it was a, I'm just curious, a prescription, a supplement? It is a prescription and um, it is something that really saved me mentally. Yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, and usually those, that category of drugs doesn't have an impact for a couple of weeks. So for you to feel the difference so soon. And it could have been just that I knew I was getting something help, that I knew that there was an answer. Yeah. Well, you mentioned in your bio, your teenage godson, how did he handle this? Like a champ. The first, the first few weeks or the first probably three weeks, it was like, you know, there was so, there was so many people and there were so many flowers that I had nowhere else to put a vase of flowers. There was so much love and food. And I said, we can't tell James, we can't tell James, we can't tell him because I didn't, I didn't want, he was just 13 and he still had his own stuff from, from his life earlier before I got him. And it was probably at the end of the third week and I went in, in his room and he's on the call of duty or whatever it was. At the, <laughs> and I said, I, I, I need to talk to you. I got to talk to you about something. And he didn't even turn around. He said, I know you have cancer. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, what did you tell him when you were in the hospital for six days? I mean, you had to have said something. He, he stayed with his best bud and their family and everybody. We covered it up really well. Um, Apparently he not. That, he knew. <laughs> they know. We think we're hiding stuff from them. They know. They do. They do. <laughs> We think we're smarter than they are, but so he didn't even turn around. He said, I know you have cancer and I, and, and I want to tell you something, you're going to be fine. And he said, um, by the way, it's business as usual in this household and you're not going to feel sorry for yourself and you're going to go to work and you're going to be fine. Just oh my God. I love this kid. I, I love him. I know. <laughs> He just laid out the plan for you. He did. He did. He really did. Oh and and not, goodness. you know, in, in so many words, that's exactly what he said. And I said, well, okay. Because of that, I, I really did that. He helped me to say, okay, you know, you're right. I'm not going to, I, you know, I had my pity party. It's been a couple of weeks. I've got to fight this thing. And um, if he can be that strong, I can do it too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So. You go through nine months of chemotherapy and you're still working. You're still a mother. You're doing everything. Was there a point where the doctor said to you, you've got no evidence of disease. I know they don't like the word cure, but you have no evidence of disease and you thought everything was done. Yes. It was a year later and he said, you're clean. You're good. I rang the bell. Everything was wonderful. 
And um, I had a warrior group that helped me through all the chemos that nine months. And it was three sisters and a best friend and a cousin. And we were the warriors. So not one time scan or infusion or anything went by. They all flew in. They took turns. We had a calendar. Um, they helped get James to school. They cooked. And it was the most wonderful thing. Well, when I heard that I was cancer-free and everything was good, I booked a cruise and I took oh, all of us on. Yes. Love it. So I flew everybody in and I booked a cruise and we all uh, went on a Caribbean cruise and celebrated life and um, God's healing. And, um, and it was wonderful. We celebrated and partied and um, <laughs> got, got back. And a week after I got back, I had, um, had to go to get another tumor marker. So everything was good, but I was on scheduled tumor markers every three months. Okay. And I did that for a few years. But um, so the tumor marker came in and I saw the doctor and he says, well, um, he just wanted to see me, you know. And so I went and saw him and he says, you look great. Keep it up. And I said, well, what about the tumor marker? And he said, well, it's not back yet, but it's fine. You're fine. This and was said, to oh, check to check your markers, right? To check. That's correct. Very, yeah. very specific. Okay, got so it. So the, right. the tumor marker has to go out of the office because it's it's looked at with a fine tooth comb. They really separate all the blood and they're looking for tumor cells. Right. So he said, don't worry about the tumor marker. You're fine. And I said, great. So I, I went at, back and I got on the phone and called all my peeps, cancer-free still, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next morning I'm at work. And I looked at my phone rings and I looked down and it's my oncologist calling me from his cell phone. Oh no. And I picked it up and I said, well, what do you want? And <laughs> in, in retrospect, and I, and I, it was so rude. I'm so sorry. And I've told him since then, I am oh, so yes. sorry, but I didn't, wasn't supposed to talk to him for another three more months. That's right. So I thought my, maybe it was a button. I, I don't know. I went through all this stuff. And, um, and he said, I need you to get in here. Your markers are way high. Oh God. And I said, nah, I said, um, James is getting braces today. I can't come in. I'm getting, getting And, um, he says, come before then. And I said, no. And he said, okay, you get here. I said, maybe next week. And he said, no, you get here first thing in the morning. We, we're going to retake, take that test. So I went back the next morning and we redid it and they were even higher than they were from the week before. So wow. I went and got a PET scan and that's when they found it in my liver. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you really didn't even have a lot of time. No. It, it, it was like from here, the cruise to right. that next phone call. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then what? So, um, more of the phone calls. I got the pet, pet scan on a Friday and they said, we won't have early in the morning. And they said, we won't have the answers until probably next week. Well, Friday afternoon, I start getting more calls from, from my doc, from my oncologist, from the cell phone. And I thought, no, I'm not answering it. Cause it was like late on a Friday. 
Saturday, I get like three more calls from his number. Oh, and I said, not going to answer it. And then Sunday when he started calling, I just, I got on my knees and I said, God, whatever this is, if you help me through, I'll, I'll, I'll fight it, but you got to help me. And, um, so the next, so I prayed and then, um, about 10 minutes later, the phone rang again and it was him and I answered and he said, yeah, he said, we, we found cancer in your liver and, um, you're, you're going to go Monday to Dr. Chin, a transplant surgeon. And I want it out next week. Is what? what? Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the bus. This is so interesting. Um, so I just want for people listening, a couple of things. One, PET scans are not always that common, but it is a very different kind of imaging. It's nuclear imaging. So things can light up in the body that you might not necessarily see otherwise, especially if they're smaller. But two, I am just stunned that immediately it was like, let's get you a liver transplant. Cause that's not always the case when it's secondary liver cancer, because often that responds better to chemotherapy. But I guess if you'd had nine months of chemotherapy and it still came back in your liver, they thought a transplant was the next option. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. They didn't that. actually, yeah, they didn't actually do a transplant. Um, they did. Um, but the trans, there was talks of it, but the, because it was spread, you know, it was right. spreading out. Um, there was talks of it, but the, but the liver transplant surgeon ended up doing it, but then they, they only took half. So okay, they, so I, they, they did resection. They, they did cut resection. out. Yes. Okay. And, and so they took but out hearing, half liver. But hearing on that Sunday that I need to see the transplant surgeon was not the, it was like a, it was like a bad dream. It was like a, yeah. it was like I was living my own nightmare. Oh gosh. So how soon after that Sunday phone call, did you go into surgery to remove half your liver? So I went, um, I went in the next week to meet him and, um, my sister and my best friend went with me and we talked to the, to the doctor. It was so funny. He looked like he could be my son. I think it, he looked like he was 12 to me. And I said, are you, are you going to operate on me? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked, they, they were wonderful, wonderful group. And we talked and I said, um, you know, what are my chances? And he looked at my sister and he kind of shook his head. And then he looked at me and he said, listen, I'm going to give you 50, 50. We all have 50, 50, don't we? Mm -hmm. So the, the odds were not good getting through the surgery or recovering from liver cancer because they're just not. And, um, I said, okay, I said, that's fine. Um, my, my nephew's getting married in San Diego in two weeks. I really want to go. And he said, that's fine. Well, within two weeks, not that much is going to happen in terms of growth. So we all packed up and did a family, wonderful family vacation, um, had a great time in San Diego and went to this beautiful wedding and celebrated and um the day after i got back i went into the surgery wow okay and i think most people know this but 
the liver is the only internal organ we have that can regrow its own tissue. So taking out half of one's liver is a lot, but the liver does grow back. So talk to us about that surgery, because that still is a tremendous amount of to have one organ removed, to have half of it removed is a lot. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was very, very hard. Um, I was never so sick. I was very, very sick. I went into the surgery with peace because I prayed. All I did was pray. I said, God, just give me your peace and I can get through this. I just need peace. So I actually um, went in that morning at, oh, dark 30, you know, uh, went in with, you know, you have to be there before the birds are up. Right. And, um, and I went in there with, with a lot of peace saying, you know, these are great. This is a great doctor. These are great facilities. I had the best care I, I did. Um, but waking up out of it, I was very, very weak, very, very sick after I think on the third day of being on that transplant floor, um, they said, you have to start moving around. You have to, you know, and I finally, I agreed to somebody to help me to get into a wheelchair and to take me down to the cafe for a little bit of broth. Um, by the time I got down there, I was so sick. I said, you got to get me back up. And after a couple of transfusions, I felt better. So they, I was just losing a lot of blood. It was just, yeah. it's a very, what they do. And if this is too much, stop me. But what they do is it's like an open heart surgery. So mm-hmm. they, they cut me open and they take the liver out put it on a table, you know, cut it all up, resect it, and then put it back and sew me mm-hmm. up. So it was just, that's a lot for a body to go through. That's a lot of trauma. Yes. That's a lot of trauma. There was like five doctors and a bunch of nurses. And um, I think it was seven hours. So, and of course I wasn't around for it because I was under, but <laughs> but my my body knew upon waking just oh. the, the tremendous... Yeah. And, um, I think it was on the fourth day, they said, you got to move around. You look awful. You got to move around. So, and I did, I looked and felt awful. So I got up on a walker and my sister came with me and we went around the, the nurse's station around the floor, you know, around the rooms yeah, and, around sure. the floor. and, um, going around that floor, it took me maybe 30 minutes. Normally it would take me, you know, a, you just a minute, you just walk. And it took me like, it was just step after step. And, um, and I did it with just tears running down my face, the whole thing thinking, am I ever going to be healthy again? Am I ever going to walk normal again? So it was a tough one. Pamela, how long did it take you to fully recover from that surgery? That's a great question because they gave me six weeks to go back to, to recover, to go back to work. And Andrea, I was back to work in four. I said, I am just, I am done with cancer. I am done. I've done it twice. I'm not doing it anymore. When my liver surgeon said 50, 50 chances, I thought my God doesn't work on statistics. I am getting over this and I'm going to prove it to everybody. So I was back to work in four. It wasn't as as easy and as chipper as I made it look to be, but I did it. And um, you know what? Here I am eight years later. Yeah. Wow. 
Did you finally get the cured word? I still go twice a year and they say I have to go twice a year forever. Um, Scanxiety, which to the listeners, if nobody knows what that is yet, it's the fear from testing to the answer. And um, that's long gone away because, you know, eight times two is 16. I've been 16 times since, since the um, liver cancer and each time it's been clean. So each time it's just another reason to celebrate and, um, give thanks. Oh, I, lo- I love that. What would you say was your worst moment in all of it? The, the, the liver, the liver cancer. Um, there's a big tube when you get a surgery and it's a drain tube. And of course, being independent, like I always have been all my life, I didn't want anybody to do much for me. And I also have a bad reaction to pain pills. I just don't like the way they make me feel. So I'm going back a little bit, but in the colon surgery, I was like, oh, it was nothing. Um, I don't want the dilated pump. I, I'll be fine without it. Well, the reason it wasn't so bad comes to find out is my sister and my best friend were pumping it for me when I snoozed. So- yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so you were still hooked up. It's called a PCA, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so the patient has, has control over it. So they were clicking the button for you. Yes. Because I was like, no, I didn't, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was be all delirious and, you know, um, you know, say something stupid. I just was, had to be too composed for that. So, uh, I, I tried not to do it. Well, in the liver surgery, they, they told me, they said, okay, we're going to take this drain out. And there was this long drain and, and it, I think it was like 12 inches long and it would fill up with excess um, fluids that needed right. to come out around the, the surgery site. And um, I didn't want anybody changing it for me because it was awful. So I would try to do it myself. And, um, and I think it was on the third day, the nurses came in and they said, we know you don't like pain pills, but Here's two big ones, and we highly recommend that you take them right now. Oh, um, were they about to take the drain out? They were about to take the drain out. So I took the two pills, got loopy real quick because I wasn't eating. And um, the nurse, there was there was Karen, my sister took my feet, and one took my arm, and then the other one on the right side of me to pull. That was the longest moment of my life, pulling that drain out. Cause it was about a quarter in circumference or it felt, felt like it to me. <laughs> and no, it, it just, probably was, it, it probably was. was. And it take, it took forever to pull that out of my body. And at that point I said, you know what? I am learning the biggest lesson of my life. Sometimes you have to let people do things for you. Yeah. And, um, so and that was, that was probably the worst moment. What was your best moment? My best moment was after I told James that I had the cancer and I was waiting. I really wasn't that the, um, the sickness from, from having the tumor in me started getting worse and worse. Um, I looked like I was pregnant soon before I had gotten into the surgery. It, it just was so rapid how it just got, um, flourished so quickly. And Mm. I was lying on the couch. There was a bunch of people around and I was just lying on the couch 
you know, going through the phone. And all of a sudden I got a, um, a text and in the subject line, it said it was from God. I opened it up and it said, don't worry, my loved one. I love you and I am going to heal you. Love God. There, this was back in 13 when we don't have the phones that we have now. It was an iPhone, but there was no number attached. There was nothing. There's only two people that could have made that happen. God and my son. I don't know how he did it. And that was just the best thing because, you know, raising him and trying to um, share with him the faith that I have and trying to be an example, um, far from perfect, but trying to really let him know that, you know, to do the right thing and to believe in God and, and took him to church and all the things, how I was raised yeah. and, you know, 13, uh, stupid. Uh, it's just a, it's just a guy in a book, you know, yeah. <laughs> did he really say that? I yeah. 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 <laughs> so then, so then when I got that, he knew that that's what that was, was going to make me feel better. And of yeah. course God knew. So that was my best moment. That's why I love this question because I never know what answer I'm going to get. And that is just, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Does he know even all these years later, how much that meant to you at the time? I hope so. He's uh, 22 now and um, he's in Italy right now. He's a United States Marine. Wow. What is one thing, Pamela, you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? So going all the way back to the beginning of colon cancer. Probably don't worry. And I know that sounds silly because it's a cancer diagnosis, but I heard something uh, last night that 92% of the things that we worry about never happen. So Again, it sounds, uh, you, you know, you have cancer is an awful thing to hear. But if you spend all of your days before we die, we're all going to die worrying right. about cancer, then we miss the joy in today. So truly, I truly believe that we need to just not worry. And, and I, I have a quick story for you. Um, good friend of mine was diagnosed with a bad lung cancer. It was a, one of the kinds that's not curable. And this was three years ago and she was diagnosed and they said, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do. And you have 18 months. She died to the day of the 18 month diagnosis. And she oh. did. Be, yeah. Because that's all she did was worry about, oh, I only have two months left. I have this month. There was no joy. There was no travel. There was nothing as much as I tried to the day. So it's mindset. It's all mindset. Pamela, if you could only do one thing to prove healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I have to uh, answer this as honestly as I can. It's a great question, but I had the best doctors and the best care. So what I wish is that everybody had access 
to the level that I had. And I know that right. it's not, it's doesn't make sense, but um, if anybody were to get sick and you want to come to the Advent Health in Central Florida, that is some of the best of the best. So I just, you know, I, I would I would hope for everybody to have that care and knowledge and um, that that anybody that doesn't have insurance still has access to that because yeah. it's so important to walk in and feel like you matter. And you're in good hands. And that you're in good hands. Yeah. And I had some of the best insurance with my with my worldwide company, but not everybody has that. So I didn't experience some of the horrors that are out there. Yeah. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Sure. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? All three. In California, <laughs> you can do that. You can go to Lake Mammoth. Yes. But you live in Panama City. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I was raised in California. Um, okay, beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Some of the best music written in all time is from the Beatles. And what is one word that best describes you? Silly. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh my gosh, my favorite song. It's so, so silly. Um, Kodachrome by Simon and Garfunkel. I love the beat. I love to dance to it. When I need to pick me up, that's what I put on. Okay. What about the last meal you want to eat? Ooh, pasta with a spicy red sauce and crunchy garlic bread and a good, deep, dirty cab. Oh. I'm right there with you. I am so right there with you. <laughs> the last person you want to see. My son. And the last words you will speak. Jesus. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Okay, great. So I love a group. It's called the Immerman Angels, and it's a group out of Chicago. And I've been an angel for about five years now. And what this organization does is they connect people that are newly diagnosed to people that have gone through the same thing. And when I first got sick, all I wanted was to talk to somebody that had been through it. And um, unfortunately, I didn't uh, connect with this group until after I was better and I was cleaning out my, <laughs> my emails, but, um, but I contacted them and now I have, um, I've, uh, mentored over a dozen people that have had, uh, colon and liver cancer. And it's just a, if you're going through it, it's a wonderful to be able to talk to somebody. If you've been through it, um, there's nothing like helping somebody to, to feel good and to, and to assure and to comfort somebody that's going through it. So it's a great nonprofit organization and, um, I highly recommend it. Of course, Cancer University, uh, is the great resource. Um, if anybody wants to find me, I have a podcast. It's called See Free Cancer Free, and it's two minutes a day of positivity and, um, so you can find that on any podcast platform. Um, I also wrote a book, Midlife Cancer Crisis, 
and it's on Amazon and it's a sweet little read and I wrote it to give hope and encouragement and um, I think it I think it'll do that for you and if anybody wants to get it I just ask that you get it and then pass it on to somebody else that needs some hope and what about if people want to reach you directly I am at Pamela McCulloch.com and you can also find me on cfreecancerfree.com. It's the same page, but either one will get you to that page. Okay. Well, we will put links to that in the workshop and the show notes. Pamela, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And I truly hope that um, anybody that, that could use this um, this hope and encouragement will we'll find it and um, God bless all of you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.